Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, season one, episode number 15, Adrianople, part one. My name is Josh Hirschman. When we last spoke, our Goths were about to be confronted by Valens and his Eastern legions. And this confrontation will lead to the death of an emperor, chaos in the middle of the empire, and uncertainty from the Rhine to the Syrian desert. I have decided to split this episode into two parts. Therefore, today, we are going to delve into the makeup of both armies that will eventually fight at Adrianople. Next week, we will look at the final details and circumstances that take us into the battle itself. The makeup of the Gothic army is fascinating to me, and it would behoove us to discuss the makeup of both armies before we get into the battle. The leader of the Goths, of course, is Fritigern which Fritigern's name comes from the Gothic word of Fridugarns, which means desiring peace, which is ironic for this situation, because that is what Fritigern and his Goths wanted, was peace throughout this process, but were forced into their rebellion by the treachery and the bad behavior of the Romans. He had proven himself capable of being a tactical leader and seemed to be astute in not only his strategies to employ in battle, but in his choice of when to engage and when not to engage in battle. Several of the sources make statements concerning his ability to not only force battle when he knew that he had an advantageous position or a power of arms. During the 376-378 campaign, we do not have stories of Fritigern losing any battles against the Romans. The closest was his draw in 377 at the Battle of the Willows at Ad Silesius, up in the northeast corner of Thrace near the mouth of the Danube River. So therefore, the Goths are led by an able commander and leader. Now the makeup of his army encompasses many different types of people. You have Fritigern's group of Turingai Goths, which probably includes some Alans and Sarmatians that are trying to escape the chaos north of the Danube created by the Huns. You have Gothic slaves, specifically Thracian miners, who are more than happy to run away from their Roman masters. Alatheus and Saphrax's Grothungi forces, who entered the empire after Lupicinus's leaving of the Danube poorly defended. Still yet, there are Gothic warriors who were in the service of the Roman army. There were probably up to 3,000 Goth warriors who deserted their Roman military posts after the events at Marcianople. This number comes up in several of the sources, but it may have also been as low as 1,000, according to others. 3,000 warriors was the typical number that the Goths would have to supply for the Romans under the treaties of the past. So I think some of the sources probably just assume this number is correct, but do not actually know. These Goths were led by two men named Seritus and Callias, but they did not join the rebellion immediately. They were stationed through the winter of 376-377 at Adrianople, when Valens sent word to join him in Antioch to march against the Sassanids. Valens had not yet decided that the Gothic menace in Thrace deserved his attention. So in preparation for the march against the Sassanids, Seritus and Callias asked the Curia, which was the equivalent of the town council in Adrianople, for food and supplies for the long march. The local officials at Adrianople denied the Goth soldiers this supply of food, 
because the soldiers had supposedly destroyed the farms outside of the city of a local magistrate. Once the Goths were denied their supplies, a large group of civilians in town armed themselves in anticipation of a Gothic attack with weapons from the local fabrica, or local imperial arms factory. These citizens were quickly slaughtered and scattered by the well-trained Goths. Seritus and Callias, who are now seeing the writing on the wall for themselves and their men, moved north towards Fritigern and joined the rebelling Goths. This last group of Goths, who were serving in the Roman army, were well-armed, but the main body of the Goths were supposedly giving up their arms when they entered the Roman territory back in 376. Typically, the Romans would have a people give up their arms and then would settle them. When those people would be in need for use in the army, the Romans would then give the weapons that they would need. Somehow, the Goths were able to keep a good number of their weapons as they crossed the Danube. They would have hid the weapons or bribed their handlers as they entered the empire in 376. Regardless, they were not sufficiently armed when the rebellion started back in Marcianople back in the spring of 377 CE. Also, to be included in this Gothic army are Hun and Alans that were mercenaries. Both of these groups fought primarily as light horse archers. The Alans, who were described by Amianus as tall, handsome, with yellowish hair and frighteningly fierce eyes, had lived in the Pontic Steppe for centuries and had developed a fighting style that was conducive to warfare on a wide open plain. Again, the Pontic Steppe, that area north and east of the Black Sea, is a flattish open grassy land. On this open landscape, where finding cover is difficult, movement and speed is at a premium. Therefore, the Alans, who are related to the Iranian people, became proficient at horsemanship and in use with the bow. We see the Alans become forceful light cavalry fighting with mounted horse archers. Their cavalry would utilize light armor and small fast horses to maximize speed. The Huns, who Amianus would describe as having squat bodies, strong limbs, and thick necks, would also have the same type of fighting style, but would use a famous composite bow that would provide more power. Bows were made of bone and wood, typically, but the key was the dimensions of the bow. The bottom portion of the bow would be slightly longer than the top portion, which, coupled with the material makeup, would generate much more power than the traditional bow. The Huns would shoot at their enemies from afar, but when they would be in close quarters, they would also use lassos of twisted cloth to pull their enemies to the ground. We'll be coming back to the Huns and their mastery of both horsemanship and archery later on in our show. But in the meantime, just to get us some visuals, I have posted some images on the History of the Barbarians Facebook page uh, of all types of soldiers in the Gothic army, including our Alans and our Huns. Further breakdown of the Gothic army would probably show that most would have been infantry armed with spears. This infantry would have been made up of, or at least mostly, the Turingai Goths that came over the Danube with Fritigern. Additionally, the Gothic slaves in the Thracian mines that escaped and joined the army would have been thrown into these spearmen groups as well. Many of the poor Romans or deserting Roman soldiers that joined up in Fritigern's forces would also be spearmen. Amianus mentions that there were many Gothic archers at Adrianople, so we can assume that these men would have been smaller in number than the spearmen, but substantial enough to make an impact in the battle to be mentioned in the Res Gestia. The Grithungi warriors that Alatheus and Saphrax brought into the army would have been primarily heavy cavalry that would fight with swords, but 
Some may have had lances and bows. Also in the Grothungi portion of the army would have been included some light infantry soldiers who would have fought with bows. From Amianus's account, we have a decent idea of the types of soldiers and perhaps where they came from, but any attachment of numbers to the various types of soldiers is purely speculative. I always wanted to know what the breakdown of the Goths army would have been and have been frustrated by many of the sources who have, for good reason, resisted the urge to speculate on the numbers of the various types of soldiers. Many have avoided attaching numbers because of the lack of good sources on this subject, and therefore the speculative nature that would be attached to such a pursuit. But I did find some sources that gave some numbers to the units, and I know this cannot be decisive in any way, but it can give us a decent idea of the makeup of the army. So let's put some numbers to our groups here. The bulk of the army was spearmen, so maybe around 6,000 men or so, were fighting as spearmen for the Goths. Light infantry archers at around maybe 2,000 or so. The troops of Seritus and Callias, maybe 1,000 to 3,000 heavy infantrymen, probably also spearmen. And finally, up to 1,000 heavy cavalry that served as Fritigern's comitatus, uh, which are protective troops who probably dismounted and fought on foot. And I say this because this is typically what the sources have said. So not necessarily maybe the numbers for maybe honest, but uh, some statements about uh, the protective troops guarding Fertigern and other Gothic leaders on foot. So this gives us anywhere from 10,000 to 12,000 Tervingai troops. And if you remember back when the Tervingai rebelled against the Romans at Marcianople, only a few weapons were available. After their victory, over Lupicinus, the Goths began to scavenge battlefields and armories all over Thrace to arm their people. The slaves, Romans, and others that joined and replaced wounded, killed, captured, or deserting soldiers, the army would still need as many Roman weapons as they could seize. Therefore, the soldiers of the Goths fought the Romans with the same weapons, with probably similar tactics. The cavalry of the Turingi, like their Gruthungi cousins and their Roman enemies, did not use stirrups. Stirrups would not come into use in Europe for several more centuries. They did have saddles, though, but the lack of any real horsemanship tradition among the Turingi is probably one of the larger contrasts that one can make with their Gruthungi warrior brethren. The Gruthungi, though, had up to a thousand heavy cavalry that served as comitatus of Alatheus and Saphrax. They probably had 3,000 more heavy cavalry and about 1,000 light infantry archers. And then finally, the Alan and Huns accounted for another 2,000 light cavalry, mostly serving as horse archer mercenaries. The Grithungi and the mercenaries add another 6,000 troops to the Gothic army. So the total of the Gothic army under the command of Fritigern at Adrianople is therefore 16,000 to 18,000 based on these numbers. Again, these are numbers that are compiled from various sources and are in no way definitive. This is just a bit of a conjecture to try to satisfy some curiosity associated with this mysterious army uh, that really did achieve quite a bit. And this was done through some research of what some experts say on this subject. Many of these experts put the numbers of the Goth army in general about 15,000, 20,000, putting our numbers within that range. 
The Roman army numbers are going to be very similar in size and even makeup to the Goths. Much has been said about Valens and his army at Adrianople in various places. I will not do a comprehensive breakdown of the Eastern Emperor forces beyond a simple breakdown of probably around 10,000 infantry, both heavy spearmen and light archers. Present were also probably around 5,000 heavy and light cavalry. These numbers are pretty consistent within a few thousand in most of the sources. It should be noted that the Roman troops were a fully professional army, which is in stark contrast to the Gothic army, whom had many in the ranks that were professional in some way, but had many more escaped slaves and other citizen soldiers. So I think that's a good place to stop with the breakdown of the two armies for this week. And next week we'll bring our story back online with the maneuverings and the final details of the campaigns prior to the Battle of Adrianople and the fall of Valens at Adrianople. But some materials that were used for the episode this week uh, were Adrianople, A.D. 378 by Simon McDowell, Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, The Goths by Peter Heather, and Res Geste by Amianus Marcellinus. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to follow along on our journey. Please leave a review on the podcast platform of your preference. The good reviews really do help others find the podcast. Check out the History of the Barbarians Facebook page and Twitter accounts for some of those images and some additional information on our characters, both this week and overall for our narrative. And I'd like to thank you for listening. And I will see you next time.